Well, beloved, Happy New Year. I am happy to say that it has been quite a happy new year thus far. The vaccine distribution is right on schedule, and there haven't been any notable historic events in our nation thus far. Wait, I'm being told that that's not true at all. You know, a disadvantage of pre-recording our worship services is that uh, current events can take shape so quickly. And uh, what happens between preparing our broadcast and actually broadcasting it? The service can empty, uh, you know, events can empty certain parts of the service of their power, typically the sermon. And I, I can't know what transpires between Thursday afternoon and Sunday morning, but it's not every day that a white mob storms the Capitol, the Capitol just weeks before a presidential inauguration. So I believe it's important to address this event, and I'm honored to have your attention. Just want to say that. I'm, I'm honored to have your attention. I don't take it for granted. And uh, just as I attempt to do, as, as Karl Barth said, to hold up the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other yet again. So I, I begin by saying that while we may be angry or afraid or frustrated, what has unfolded this week in our nation's capital, uh, the one thing we can't be is surprised. This and other similar events are really expected outcomes. You could see them coming for years. Years of incitement and instigation and provocation. And This white mob is constituted by people who've been whipped into a frenzy for a long time. And I've addressed these issues directly and indirectly from the pulpit across my tenure. No surprises here. As well, it should come as, as no surprise that the cruel side of our nation's history is besmirched with the blood of white violence following on the heels of black progress. I think it's important for us to remember that as a predominantly white church, uh, that our black members, our black friends, our black neighbors know when white Christians are deceiving themselves. They know, uh, and it makes it harder for them to join us and to stay with us when we aren't true, when we don't discern the truth, and we, we let these things happen and, and look the other way. Or we pretend like these things don't happen because of race. Or that, that race is not at the center of much of what has transpired in our nation for many years. Really from the birth of our nation to today. Uh, I hear black leaders and others over the past 24 hours. And for you perhaps the past 72 hours. Saying what if this mob had been black? Would they have gotten nearly as far as they did, of course they wouldn't have. There is a significant racial dynamic going on here that we as white Christians have to acknowledge and fess up to, recognize, and work against. Uh, I remember personally witnessing uh, two distinguished black professors being arrested in the legislative building of the North Carolina legislature, uh, 2013. They were whisked away into an elevator, plastic ties strapped around their hands, 
held behind their back. One's a Duke Divinity School professor. One is now a dean at Yale Divinity School. These, these black men are wonderful gifts to the church. And they were arrested not for hoisting flags and painting their faces and invading public space and threatening and uh, conveying threats to other human beings. Shouted, they were quiet, they were praying, they were singing. In fact, they were singing, leaning on the everlasting arms as the police officers strapped their hands together. So as, as we as a, a predominantly white church continue to be a learning congregation, we have to remember that one of the things that we as white Christians have the responsibility to do is learn how to see the difference of how black people are treated and how white people are treated. <sighs> anyway, we can feel a lot of legitimately difficult feelings right now, but surprise cannot be one of them. Now, if I were writing and speaking as a journalist or a politician or a sociologist, I'd speak as they do, but I'm a pastor, and I have the very peculiar task of communicating with what one of my teachers calls baptismal speech, this being baptism of the Lord's Sunday. That peculiar speech, that baptismal speech given to the church and its preachers and to you, Speech that only makes sense if the gospel is true. Speech that only makes sense if Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. This is the kind of speech I've tried to articulate to congregations across my vocation, across my time with you. And I, I know some have thought at times that I've been too political. I, I know some have, have thought that, that I have digressed from baptismal speech on occasion. I hope by now that you've seen, though, that by addressing certain events in our nation's history, and I'm sorry, by addressing certain events in our nation's history over the years, that really what I've been attempting to do is, is help be a part of preventing the kind of nonsense we've seen unfold this past week. And I hope by now that it's obvious that one of the reasons that our nation has become such a fragile democracy is because many pastors, not all, but many pastors, have consigned truth-telling to other public figures and left it to them, and left the public square devoid of baptismal speech, prophetic speech. They've been too afraid of their own congregations to tell them the truth. I hope you know by now that, uh, that I'm not afraid of any of you because I love you. It's because I love you. And I want you to hear the truth. And I want to hear the truth from you. And I want us to walk together discerning the truth through these difficult times. The perfect love casts out fear, you know. And so we observe baptism of the Lord Sunday today. I know of no better way to address the events of today than through the lens of baptism. Paul teaches us something quite fascinating about baptism today because a very interesting thing happens while Paul is traveling through what Acts calls 
and I love this, the interior regions, tongue-in-cheek, which I think means areas without good cell phone coverage. This is an especially funny way to think about it, because when Paul runs into some disciples, he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? And they say, uh, no, we only got T-Mobile around here. Actually, they say, no, we've never even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul says, well, what were you baptized into then? And they say, into John's baptism. Well, what does that mean? And what does it have to do with current events? Paul says that John's baptism is merely a baptism of repentance and preparation for the coming Messiah. That's not a bad thing. Remember, Jesus said, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. John taught his disciples to repent of their sins and to live simply. Camel hair and a belt, neat locusts, t-shirt and jeans will get you through the day. He taught those with two coats to share with those who had none. He taught people to be thankful for what they had. He taught people how to prepare the way of the Lord. But after Jesus began his public ministry, remember, it became clear that Jesus was not going to establish a worldly government so even John had doubts about whether Jesus was the Messiah. Great John began to wonder, is he the one or are we to wait for another? So it's not that John's baptism diminished anyone, but according to Paul, it wasn't the same thing as, as being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when these disciples living out in the boondocks heard about the Holy Spirit, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and it changed their lives forever. Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit rushed into them, and they were empowered with baptismal speech. That is, they were able to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now, I do not personally have the gift of speaking in tongues, except occasionally when bears knock over my trash cans. Seems to be the only thing that keeps them away. But it is a beautiful gift, and I honor it. It's not a common practice in our congregation that I know of, but prophesying is a gift that baptized people do hold together. And it's this particular gift of the Holy Spirit that I highlight today. Beloved, on this baptism of the Lord Sunday, in the wake of this great disturbance in our spirits and in our nation, in the midst of this pox on our country, I remind all of us that we who have been baptized have been given a special gift that empowers and enables us to discern the truth, tell the truth, and embody the truth for the sake of our communities and for the sake of our nation. One of the ways we do this together is by reading the Psalms. We've made this common commitment together to, to read the Psalms, pray the Psalms, memorize the Psalms, write the Psalms on our doorposts and our windowsills and our bathroom mirrors, and etching them into our hearts. Now, is this some pious exercise for merely religious people? Or is it a training in baptismal speech? Do the Psalms not show us how to discern the truth from falsehood? And do the prophets themselves not recite the Psalms on their beds? One of the great gifts of praying the Psalms daily 
is that they teach God's people how not to be duped by reprobates. A reprobate being one of the most common characters in the Psalms. To those Christians who have sold our souls for a mess of pottage, I say along with Paul, as he did to the Galatians, who has bewitched you? Take up and read and repent and learn the language of faith and learn that it sounds nothing like the violent speech to which some of us have hitched our wagons and our hopes. The violent speech to which so many of us have fallen prey. And I want to say to the baptized of my congregation just how important it is to remember our own history and the way that God's story has unfolded in this particular place among this particular congregation, scattered as we, we may be now. It's crucial that we remember how resistant our fellowship has been to false prophets and how prophetic our congregation has been when Christian leaders of our own ilk went cheap for power and diluted their prophetic witness with the brackish water of political gain. But I believe the time to come holds great promise for churches like ours. I see a great broad space opening for congregations like ours who have been faithful and have been wise across many decades of having been diminished by those giving the church and Christians a bad name. God has been kind to us, and God is gracing us with dreams as well as the means to make them realities. And if your heart is troubled by recent events, don't be afraid. Remember that nothing is keeping us from pursuing our mission to care for God's most vulnerable children, to be a community every person can depend on for a generous welcome and compassionate embrace and to inspire new creative ways of being the church in this fearsome moment. I want to say something too to our young people, those who look around at us adults, and wonder what institutions care about them and depend on them and working, are working on a future for them. I want to say to you, my dear friends, that the contrast between faithful churches and those who have gone cheap for power has never been greater than it is now, and I want you to pay attention to that. I want you to pay attention, wherever you are, to the faithful churches and communities who are doing God's work in spite of all the odds. You may want to start by paying attention to our congregation and thinking about what's transpired here just in the past weeks and what a tremendous difference it is between what we've seen occur in our nation's capital this week and what God has been doing among us from 
distributing almost a thousand meals in one week to raising nearly $14,000 to keep our most vulnerable, our most vulnerable neighbors warm in this very chilly winter. The beauty of the worship of God on display for any and all to share in who have need for the Bible studies who continue to meet on Sunday mornings to care for each other, nourish one another, even on Zoom, to the ways all of us long to be together. That spirit cultivated by that baptismal speech into which we've been, duct been inducted and trained, that's all happening here. It's all very unique and sacred and holy. It's not going away. And so to you young people, I want you to pay attention to that. I want you to become part of that. Invest in that. Learn this language. And join up with us. And you too will find that in due time, the Holy Spirit invades your life and takes over and directs you and guides you in ways you never imagined. Christmas Eve. Speaking of baptism and the Holy Spirit and the joys of fellowship. Christmas Eve, my family and I were, were in our basement. That's where our big TV is, you know. And we were enjoying the live stream of the Christmas Eve service and one of our kids ran upstairs to get something to drink. It was almost time for communion and so we were gathered and had our candles out and our little communion packets. My oldest child came running downstairs and said, uh, hey y'all, it's snowing. And we're like, ah, pff, not snowing, 50 degrees and rainy outside. And then our youngest child ran up the stairs, excited, and came back downstairs with a look on his face. It's snowing. you got to see it. Oh, wow. Are you serious? So then I went upstairs. And just about the time that if you were engaging the live stream service, that we were all beginning to light our candles wherever we were, I was standing at my front door and bearing witness to the rush of a violent wind that was coming down upon me and blowing the snow, not from top to bottom, but from right to left. Snow hitting me in the face and flying into my living room, and I watched stunned as the whole earth around me was being renewed and replenished and being baptized in this beautiful blanket of new creation. And I promise you on my life that the first thing I thought, just as I told the deacons the other night, the first thing I thought was, I have never seen anything like this in my life. My, my first white Christmas. But the very second and immediate thought that I had 
was about you. You, my beloved congregation. And the thought bore down on me that this must have been what it was like on Pentecost when the Spirit came down like a rush of a violent wind and anointed the disciples to be ambassadors of new creation. And I thought, this, this is a gift and a sign to all of us whose hearts have been troubled and disturbed for lo these many years. A promissory note on new creation for our congregation as we dream by the power of the Holy Spirit, and as we, trained in the language of baptismal speech, turn to our beautiful city and say the words, we love you, and we are here for you, and we are dedicated to embodying the peculiar, beautiful, enchanting love of God for your sake and for ours.